Right, um, so I'm Vida, um, I'm one of the um, translators of um, the Gesammelte Werke. Um, how this came about was quite weird, so I'd applied to be on the editorial board and because they were sort of people at the time, they let someone like me in. Um, <laughs> I think I said in my application, oh, like I wanted to like translate what the Luxembourg since I was 14 years old, so I, <laughs> so you said let me in on this account. Um, but they did. Um, but then basically um, it came up that basically they had lots of pages to do before the end of the year and they needed to use their funding somehow because of like COVID meant that their like in-person projects couldn't happen. Um, so then they were like, do you want to do this? So I said yes. Um, so what I am currently working on, um, I think, is I think quite interesting, not because the content is actually particularly interesting, but it did, I think it raises quite a lot of questions of what exactly is the political purpose of like translating Rosa Luxemburg and translating other so, um, second international Marxists today. Um, because the bulk of what um, I've been doing is basically translating little articles she wrote um, while she was working on the editorial board of the SPD's main party paper. Um, and actually a lot of these reports are like not very interesting. Like, do I think someone's going to um, have some sort of life-changing political revelation when she basically is like responding to someone who said she printed the genitive case wrong in an article? Um, I don't think so. <laughs> Um, and a lot of it is basically just these really, like, sort of day-to-day -day granular, like, party events of, um, oh, like, this, um, this meeting in Kiel had this, like, meeting on the mass strike and this speaker gave, gave a good speech or, like, here are, like, three speeches I think are very bad and let me explain to you why they're bad. Like, a lot of what I'm doing is not even translating Rosa Luxemburg. I'm translating her quotes of other people who she dislikes. Um, um, so I think I. it kind of goes from, like, um, wow, it's such a privilege and honour to be translating Rosa Luxemburg to I can't believe I'm dealing with, like, this tedious trade unionist making a terrible speech again. Um, so, uh, so now I've done like, oh, I hate my life and I hate my job. Um, why do it? Um, so I actually think that there is a point and a purpose to like, you know, printing these volumes, which no one is going to read cover to cover. They might use it as a reference text and so on. And I think that actually sort of doing this sort of like, um, work kind of made me realise just like how sort of vast and expansive the SPD's political life was compared to anything we have today. You have this huge collection of party papers in practically every city in Germany um, and they're all plugged into each other, they're all talking about what each other is doing. Um, you know, a lot of what Rosa Luxemburg writes is her reading some like terrible report in some like local newspaper um, in some like city in Germany I've never heard of and going like, I think this is wrong. And I think that is actually that's, that is the kind of model of, like, party political life we should strive for. Um, and it's very far from the kind of party political life we have, partly because obviously we don't have, we don't have a social democratic party or a revolutionary socialist party in the UK. We have, like, the Labour Party. Um, and we have to somehow work with that. Um, and I think there's sort of some broader 
broader political questions that kind of come out from that. Like if we think that this is a sort of intellectual life worth having, um, and this includes all the kind of like petty sectarianism that lots of people um, sort of look down upon these days. Um, I, Mike McNair is um, here, but I think I have, um, I think I have made the joke that um, basically Mike McNair's, yes, yeah, I can see. I've made the joke that Mike McNair's review of Solidarity and the Weekly Worker is the kind of like truest um, inheritor of like the SPD's intellectual life. But I think it's also true, um, because it is a way of seriously engaging with what a political opponent is doing and keeping this kind of running commentary. And I think we need a lot more of that. I mean, we think we need a lot more of that across like sort of you know revolutionary groups across the left, um, in reading each other's papers and and talking to each other. Um, and that is that culture. I think the fact that a lot of people. A lot of young people particularly say that this kind of culture is um, sort of, you know, sort of terrible sectarian. What's the point of having a paper? We can do everything on Twitter, blah, blah, blah. It reflects a sort of decline in, in the sort of political level and the political standing of our movement. Um, and it's actually a decline that um, Rosa Luxemburg, as I also know from translating her newspaper articles, was... Um, quiet um mean about um in terms of he has this kind of he has this recurrent trope um in Rosa Luxemburg's like work when when um local editors are going like oh we're so terribly overworked so obviously we have to reprint this terrible revisionist article because we need to fill our pages or like when um someone says oh we need to have like more resources for agitators and party speakers he just goes you know back in the old days under the anti-socialist laws our sort of like grey-haired comrades despite having less free time than you despite being under more pressure than you they had a real thirst for knowledge so they wrote the entire paper themselves they did all of this um so basically the only thing that's stopping you is your own laziness and you know that's, I think, my takeaway message to the left. Actually, you can sort of build this party culture and this intellectual culture. And the only thing that's stopping you is that they're too afraid of being weird, or too afraid of the work, and too afraid um, of, um, of embarrassing ourselves. But, you know, actually, yeah, we should go back. <laughs> we should go back and start being mean about each other's papers again. Um, yeah. So um the newspaper articles are um from band six um band six um and that is basically like around fifty pages of Alster Partei um and it's just her reporting on um party events um and that's it's all I think in like around three months um in nineteen oh five um so and it's basically at a, a big chunk of this is basically when um. Six of the um Forvets party editors um resigned, and are now like publishing a pamphlet of how terrible the um party executive has treated them. Blah blah blah, and see a lot of it's just being like, no, you're wrong. The SPD never did anything to you. Yeah, and it's sort of um, it's sort of unsettled at this time because obviously Rosa Luxemburg actually comes in because six of the editors resign after two get sacked by the party executive, and then um. Then basically the other four are like, 
oh, they're like resigning in solidarity. Um, and then it becomes this kind of thing where um, people, when they're criticizing Forrest, um will um, go, um, oh yeah, the Berlin um, party paper as a kind of insult that, oh, this is just like, you know, a racial party paper. And Luxembourg's quite indignant that, no, this is like the paper of the whole party. Yes, um, 1908. Um, yeah, so this is in Van I, I actually found this quite interesting. I was quite annoyed that I didn't have it to hand when I did um, my undergraduate dissertation, which was about the socialist youth movement. Um, but I think there's this quite um, interesting point here. Um, I think actually Marx um, Rosa Luxemburg out from actually a lot of the sort of even party left consensus about um, the youth organisation where um, basically everyone in the SPD basically thought, well, you know, this is like the proletarian youth movement is this um educational move youth is this educational movement is just basically about sort of elevating working class youth so they can like take on the struggle when they're adults. And um Rosa Luxemburg actually kind of very much um disagrees with this. Um I'm actually just trying to get this up because I want to find the um exact things he actually says um because um but Karl sort of sort of proposal says basically this is going to be like you know the greatest educational movement we've seen since like the classics of bourgeois pedagogy and it's kind of it's an ideal of national education inspired by the spirit of um international fraternity and Rosa Luxemburg goes like I would delete this entire sentence because the identification of the bourgeois pedagogical classics with socialist use education is disputable. But secondly, the socialist use movement is not an ideal of education insofar as it only draws conclusions from the capitalist economy. Because this has actually annihilated use for the proletariat, we must make proletarians into socialists in their use. We absolutely cannot administer an education in a universal human pedagogical sense to the proletarian use, except insofar as the class struggle generally has an uplifting effect, i.e. just as it is amongst adults. So she actually has this kind of idea that um, the reason we're actually doing a socialist use movement is because we're turning people into socialists and dragging them into class struggle basically and that's basically the sort of conditions capitalist society itself has imposed um and i i don't think he actually he doesn't really bring this out as a like oh this is like quite a unique point or an original insight but like if you read basically anything about any socialist talking about the youth movement in this time they're always framing it as an educational thing um so yeah, I I was really annoyed I did not have that because it was like, it's the one thing I've read that's not like we're educating the youth. So it would have been very useful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it does in terms of C's very sort of worry of saying, oh, we're kind of fulfilling these ideals of bourgeois pedagogy. He says that actually, you know, in many ways, we're just diverging from it and we're not, um, that's, it's also, it's it's just not our purpose to do this. Um and I think, I think he's quite interesting in terms of very much doesn't really um go for um um he doesn't he basically he doesn't go for this kind of idea that um actually we're kind of fulfilling this kind of 
task of like you know these unfulfilled ideals of support well revolution um and she actually says i think further on in her annotation that you know because actually since the social excuse movement is not national education it is in its essence it's international and it, it's in opposition to bourgeois pedagogy at all times um so i, I think Yours seems a lot more cohesive than mine, and that it can you can clearly see how things are tying together. Um, I was actually quite um interested in terms of um the Barden stuff and her um being in favour of expelling the Bardenites. Um, because I think it sort of um it sort of represents in some ways a kind of shift in a perspective that I've translated in some speech she made about trade unions. Um, which is in the Congress in 1906, where party executive at that point um, basically had brought forward this um, this motion that we should sort of expel these anarcho-syndicalists from our party. I think basically under pressure from like trade unions, they were like, "Oh, this like basically throwing kind of trade unionist a bone here." Um, and she's extremely against this, but she kind of makes this point that okay, yes, you know, everyone knows that like anarchists are like talking nonsense, blah blah blah. But he, well, actually, you know, it's just as far as from social democratic tactics and our principles. When Edward David declares that legal parliamentary means as the only means of social democracy, um, and it kind of has like, well, we shouldn't, yeah, we shouldn't um. Why are we, um, yeah, basically, why are we talking about expelling anarcho-syndicalists if we're not expelling the right? And I don't think either should be expelled. I suppose the difference is by, like, 1910, it's not so much that, oh, you know, you know, reformists are having terrible opinions and they're agitating opinions that are, like, against our party principles so much as they're literally breaking the rules of our party. Um, but it's an interesting shift. Um, but I also think the um, republicanism thing is quite interesting because up until... Um, I was doing the newspaper reports, I actually didn't really have that much of a concept of how um how intense um republicanism was um in the sort of SPD at the time. And there's this little um report he um put of um this um deputy in one of the state parliaments, I think in Hesse, um where this um where someone called Ulrich, who I've never heard of um until I did this article, um basically they're being told, well, you know, if you want to appoint a quark, you have to basically be willing to go to court and make a salute to the Duke. And he just goes, No, no, I'm not doing this. Um and I think he says that um he, he refuses to tolerate any injunction of that sort. He this as an indignity and if Dr. Heidenreich were to say the same thing elsewhere, he would not receive a parliamentary answer. Um, he was elected as a Republican and will not permit the slightest doubt for a moment that he has remained the same. And I thought, well, actually, like, you know, basically so much of, like, the sort of left in the UK and obviously in this, like, completely horrible force of the Labour Party, everyone, I people kind of just kind of run scared from the question of some monarchy and it would be quite unheard of to think of, like, you know, for example, even a, like, very left wing, uh, well, we know Jeremy Corbyn would, didn't behave that way. <laughs> Um, you know, um, so I just thought it's quite interesting to see how the party retreated over the years from quite this quite forthright Republican position to like sort of muting it and trying to run away from it. There's like, I think like there's so much material that like people are like, are we actually even going to be alive by the time this is all done? 
Um, I mean, I hope so. <laughs> um, but I think basically the other thing that um is um quite um exciting in the sort of like um Luxembourg translation part is that although like there's still like you know like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of German material to translate, there's been like archival discoveries of like first of all exactly a discovery and everyone knew this like paper has been there the whole time. But basically we um it's kind of the opportunity um the kind of perspective of uh, people at the Royal Luxembourg Stiftung who speak Polish and have spent a lot of time researching this that actually a lot of um, the Polish party paper um, that she got SPD money for um, was just actually just written by Luxembourg herself. It was just her, you know, filing it in every week. So there's basically like now like, you know, huge amounts of untranslated Polish materials that I don't think is even in the um, German Gesamtwerke yet. Um, that's exciting and that should also, I think, I think, I can't read Polish, so I will be excited when that makes it into um, German, so then I can read it. Um, and then hopefully at some later point it might make it into English too. Um, yeah, because, yeah, we'd be doing it around the same time. Yes. Um, but I'm quite um, excited about that because I be, I think, if particularly if you're limited to like German and French sources, you basically don't really have any idea of what he's been up to in Poland. So everyone kind of has this quite distorted perspective of like, this is how Rosa Luxemburg believes a party should be like, basically based entirely on her writings from the SPD. And yeah, I just want to see what, you know, because obviously the main person who works on this is Eric Blank, and I have a lot of respect for Eric Blank, and he, I don't really understand how he learned how to read so many languages. Um, but um, I've, I'd like to be able to work out where he's right and where he's wrong, rather than take his word for it that actually, you know, she was extremely dictatorial in her own party. Yeah, there's also, like, I say, in terms of the um, S, I can never get the acronym order, like SDP, PKIL. <laughs> um, I I would um do it. I often just say SPD kill, just for, even though that's wrong because it's easier for me to remember. Um, that and in, in sort of relation to them being very ultimatistic, I think there is um an article. I don't think it's in the Eric Blank one. It's in something else I read. Um, basically where um her response to like the PPSF wanting like Luxembourg's personal response to the um PPSF wanting to join the SPD was to be like you have to renounce all your former views and publicly recant your former leaders before I let you join um which is <laughs> not not the best way to build a party um but I think it's it's very much demonstrative of like the particular character trait of hers which is that she's she's not very merciful <laughs> and then there's also all her letters, which are in a separate thing, the Gesammelte Briefe. I always, I found it really, when the um, English volume of the letters of Rosa Luxemburg came out to kind of um, promote the collected works, and it just being quite a small selection of what in, like, German is, like, you know, like, this kind of, like, five-volume thing, right? Um, and you, there's obviously this over-representation of her letters to Leo Jurgis's and also to her letters of Kostya Zetkin, but they only like include one letter um, to pa pa Paul Levy, um, and 
despite them also being lovers. Um, and it's, that letter's just really formal one, and they just exclude literally anything that suggests he had anything going on with him. Um, which I was like, what do they, who, what do the editors have against him? <laughs>